The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to Strange Familiars. True stories of the paranormal, cryptids, hauntings, the occult, mythology, UFOs, folklore, weird and forgotten history. Please make sure to like and subscribe to Strange Familiars on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you are listening. Please share the Strange Familiars page and episodes on Facebook and other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, Email strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, and of course, strangefamiliars.com. Welcome to Strange Familiars, everybody, and... Welcome back, Alice. Hi. You were here for a brief question on the last episode. People heard your voice when you talked to Ines a little bit, but had to bring you back because we're in your wheelhouse again. Yeah, I do episode. feel more comfortable here <laughs> than in flannel. <laughs> well, people really like Flannel Man. They they have very much responded, not specifically to your story, but to Flannel Man in general. So uh, that's good. Keep those Flannel Man stories coming, everybody. I'm really enjoying them and we kind of hit a nerve i guess with that yeah maybe other fabrics will start to be represented <laughs> silk man he's a little fancier gabardine gabby <laughs> i can come up with <laughs> so tonight what i wanted to talk about is wild men but not the usual kind of wild men i talk about and if you've heard me on other podcasts and probably a good bit on this one as well you know, I've written now two books about historical Bigfoot accounts, and these are generally 
they're most often reported as wild men. There's, they call them by a bunch of different names. There's a bunch of local names depending on the newspaper and the location and so forth. But in general, most of the reports of these creatures before Bigfoot and Sasquatch became a household name, they were called wild men. But I mentioned on these interviews, these Bigfoot shows, that for every one report I find that I think is a Bigfoot creature, arguably, mm-hmm. I toss out at least probably 10 to 20 stories of other wild men. Most often, these are circus wild men that they talk about. That's the second most common wild man. Uh, sometimes they're just some guy with long hair in the woods. Uh, like kind of akin to a hermit or something. A hermit, a homeless guy, some kind of itinerant, mm-hmm. someone that made people uncomfortable for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And usually these are, it's very obvious in the article, if they get taken to a county home, if they get taken to the poorhouse, if they get uh, taken to jail sometimes, it's very obvious, you know, they're not a Bigfoot. It's sort point. of like akin to being feral. Yes, Yes, and anybody who kind of looked a little bit like wild. Had, <laughs> yeah, there was a, a wild man in that case. So tonight we're talking about these other kinds of wild men because we found some interesting stories and, and because of the circus connection. I wanted to talk about them because we, we dug up some really cool stories. I wish I would have found it. One of the stories of the, the wild men that wasn't Bigfoot that I found, the sheriff takes the guy back and cuts his hair, puts him in jail and cuts his hair. And then, like, isn't that kind of like, you start to hear that, you know, anytime someone's, some, you know, bohemian of any kind, they're going to take you and get your hair cut. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind becomes of, that, kind of like a common thing. That, yeah, I mean, that's, you can see that in, in films up into the, the hippie era, really. Yeah, like the beatniks are going to go and get their hair, they're going to the make them will, cut their hair and join the, join the army. or Hose them down with, yeah. fire, fire, uh-huh. with the fire hose and cut their hair. They drug the guy in, into jail and they, they cut his hair off because they didn't like the looks of him. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think if I was walking around back then. Although some people could get away with. Well, yeah, you had your wild bills, right? Yeah. Another wild one. <laughs> yeah. Was he wild because of his, he had long hair and a beard? or? I think he was just dangerous. He was wild because he was dangerous. Yeah. I used to be called a wild man. When I used to do telephone work, mm-hmm. there was a certain customer who always called me wild man. He called my brother the governor, I think. I don't know why. This was way before Walking Dead, so yeah. it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> he'd, say, he'd say hi, governor, to him, and then he'd turn to me and say, hi, wild man, because I had the long hair and a beard. And it didn't occur to me t- until I was doing this sort of uh, wild man research, and I was coming across the term all the time, I was like, Oh, he was like like old school calling me a wild man mm-hmm. because I had long hair and a beard. I was a wild man. Yeah. So, And did you know that I met a wild man? A real wild man. A real wild man? A real wild man. No, I didn't know that. You, I mean, you, you will know when I tell you the story because mm-hmm. I told you the story before. Professional wrestling sort of inherited the... The circus sideshow thing. Uh, yeah, we watched the Andre the Giant documentary recently. Yeah, and it really hadn't occurred to me how much that is really heir to the sideshow. Yeah, it was really I mean, interesting. You had, even the way that the performers are styled, the way that the um, like the broadsheets or you know the equivalent posters look. There's so much like early yeah, giants. Like it, seeing Andre the Giant presented, he could have been like a giant a hundred years previous to him. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and they really just took the terminology, mm-hmm. the, the the look of things. It was really and just that like just that showmanship, even with that wink, wink that everybody knows it's not real. Yeah. Like that, you know, there's a part of you that's being sold. Yeah, something, was, you and, know, and I, you know, I was never. Su- I mean, when I was young, you know, I think every young boy in America at some point, you know, at least when I was growing up, would turn on professional wrestling on Saturday. You know, after cartoons, mm-hmm. the professional wrestling came on and. They'd watch that a little bit. But I was never like a, a maniac fan. Mm-hmm. But we watched the Andre the Giant documentary recently. I watched the documentary on the Iron Sheik just because I found the Andre the Giant one so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And these connections with the circus sideshow and stuff were so interesting to me that I watched the documentary on the Iron Sheik. Both of them really interesting, mm-hmm. super interesting documentaries. But it occurred to me that I met a wild man. I got very excited and very happy about this. So when I was in high school, my friend his grandfather worked for the maryland athletic commission or athletic board i forget what it was and even though this is you know hardly a real sport it was still governed by the the athletic commission professional wrestling (laughs) so whenever these wrestlers would come to town his grandfather would take him and and one of his friends just pick Mm -hmm. one of your friends and we'll go see wrestling tonight great seats all the time you know Mm -hmm. And he would always bring us down to meet the wrestlers or to stand right where the wrestlers came out of the locker room mm-hmm. and all this, you know, stuff like that. It was really, really interesting. Uh, these guys were all huge. Like, they were all big. I, like you, Not I mean, Andre the Giant big. No, big, you see but... Andre the Giant compared to them and you're like, but it, it just drives home how massive Andre must have been. Mm-hmm. Because, you, you know, I'm not a small guy and I mm-hmm. wasn't a particularly small guy in high school. And these guys just towered over me. I mean, there's, there's, you know, like refrigerators walking yeah. by you. You know, they're just massive. Well, one time, he says, come on, I want you to meet somebody. And his grandfather was great friends with George the Animal Steel. Now, this, this is your typical wild man. His character, he, he painted his tongue green. He was just a naturally hairy guy, uh-huh. so he had like hair all over his back and stuff. He shaved head, so he's bald, but he's hairy ever, everywhere else. He painted his tongue green, and he pretended not to speak. So he yeah. would, he would, you know. I like that idea that when you retreat to the woods, that you grow hair and you just kind of forget all about the the world that you lived in previously. Yeah. You don't remember how to talk. You can't interact with people. And I don't lose remember social graces. I don't remember George the Animal Steel's actual backstory. Yeah. The character's backstory. Uh-huh. The man was actually a teacher, and he was apparently a really smart guy, actually. And my friend's grandfather loved him and considered him a friend. Really enjoyed talking to him, loved when he came through town. He, he That was his, like his favorite guy, was, mm-hmm. was, was George the Animal Steel. And I forget his real name. Uh, I'm sure there's wrestling fans out there who, who know his real name. I think even sometimes he was brought to... Uh, Brought to the ring in chains, and then yeah, and that's the like chains. a holdover from the old sideshow days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he took us back, and I don't think it was back in the locker room because we saw that Andre the Giant documentary, and they said like no one but wrestlers and referees were allowed in the locker room. So I think this was outside the locker room, but still sort of backstage. And he says, "Come on back, come on back," and he brings us back. He says, "I really want to meet you to meet you know George." And he was very excited for, for us to meet him. And he was standing there. George the Animal Steel was standing there having a normal conversation with someone. Speaking plain English. As soon as we walked up, as soon as he saw us there, he turned and snapped into character. 
and he shook our hands, but he was very like he's sticking yeah. his tongue out, and he's you know he won't speak English. He's he's pretending to be. Now he was supposed to be a heel, I think. I think he was supposed to be a bad guy, but he was not being mean or aggressive mm-hmm. to us in any way. Shook our hand, and uh, my friend's grandfather's like, "Come on, George, just say hi to him," and he would not snap out of character. Oh, that's uh, it was yeah. endearing, really. Yeah. I, I mean. I could tell his grandfather was frustrated. His grandfather just wanted him to talk to us and show that he was a real guy and his friend and stuff. Yeah, but he was dedicated to the show. Yeah, yeah, he would not break character, which, especially now I look back, I find that very, very endearing. I don't know how much it meant to me at the time, but now I'm very excited that I, like, I, I got to meet a wild man. So, you know, the, <laughs> a professional the, wild man. Exactly, like a, a showman mm-hmm. wild man. There's another thing with these circus wild men that crosses over, I think, into the, the Bigfoot wild men that I'll talk about. I've read in these articles that, that I've collected of, of the circus wildmen. Mm-hmm. And you can tell me if this was a regular thing or maybe something that, that just a few circuses did. But it seems like what they would do often is have, a, have the wild man escape. And mm. it seems like it was often on when, like the last day the circus was in town or, or one of the last days. And then there'd be a big uh, chase around the grounds where they'd have to chase down the wild man uh-huh. and get him back in the cage. This seems like it happened frequently in these yeah. circuits because they would you'd see these newspaper articles where oh the wild man escaped and they'd had to they had to chase him down and, and get him back in the cage and he was scaring women and children. Oh yeah, often the the snake charmer snake would escape too. Oh okay, so yeah, so this yeah. is just to drum up excitement. Yeah, just and to let you know that something's you could be a part of this. And know, it's dangerous. It's and dangerous. You could wake up and that snake could be in your house if you live close to the circus. Okay, so you better keep track of what's going on. Often. This plays right into what I believe are, are these legitimate Bigfoot sightings where they will say, oh, it's escaped from a circus. This gorilla, this wild man, whatever they're calling it, must have escaped from a circus. And I often wonder if it's that sort of routine, that wild man escaping routine that yeah. has helped with that idea. Now, I know it's an easy explanation for them. Mm-hmm. For, if they're looking for an explanation for this creature in the woods... And you know that gorillas don't live in North America, which by the you know by the early 1900s certainly you know we we knew that the escape from a circus is probably one of the logical things. I often think that this the sort of wild man escape act really kind of played into that, mm-hmm. helped that along because you do see that a lot in the Bigfoot articles as well. They'll, they'll talk about this seven foot gorilla yeah. somebody saw in the woods and they'll say, well, you know, it must have escaped. It must have been a crash circus train, or, uh-huh. or it must have escaped from a from a well, circus. And there were a lot of times when some of those events were true. If you know, there were a lot of accidents with circuses, train accidents, and things where animals got loose. So I mean, there is. It almost became like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? Yeah, but when these when these circus trains crashed, they did make the newspapers everywhere. Yeah. There were no mystery circus trains that crashed. Uh, like, a lot of times, they won't be able to attribute it to a certain, a specific yeah. crash. They'll say, yeah, they'll just say it, it must have, have happened, yeah, must even have though come. there wasn't a circus in town that week. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I found other articles where these guys, I mean, <laughs> these animals cost them a lot of money to import. A lot of money. First of all, barely anyone actually had a gorilla when we were talking about gorillas. But chimpanzees and, and monkeys and the very few circuses that actually did have mountain gorillas by the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. First of all, they didn't live long. They didn't know how to take care of them well enough. But the ones that did have them, they were expensive. And when they got loose, they tracked them down. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're more of a commodity than the people might have been. The legitimate animal escapes. Mm-hmm. You will find that the people from the circus still in town. Looking, yeah. Looking for it and, and tracking them down and so forth. 
So, but it's really interesting that that it's just that became part of the routine. The, the wild man escaping mm-hmm. and running across the ground. And, and he could do people. anything. You know, you don't know. These circus wild men, for the most part, they weren't wild men, shall we say? Yeah, I think the circus wild men fall into two categories: people who are just trying to do an act because they're part of the circus anyway. Like in the case of Houdini, before he did magic, he did a wild man act. Well, you can't just skip over that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so there's. we'll come back to Houdini. Okay. The second part of that is there are wild men who are from some exotic land, so that makes them wild because they're from Borneo, from Mars, from... You know, they're just from Fiji. From Fiji, but yeah. If people think yeah. back to our show about the the Fiji cannibals, mm-hmm. they would have been generally considered wild men in the circus. Yeah, and they, and a lot of t- times those wild men are either from some other, legitimately from some other exotic location, or they have some sort of deficit intellectually or or otherwise, which can mold them into being. Somebody who just looks a little wild and different. So if you had someone like the little general, if people remember back to the Fiji cannibal episode, mm-hmm. who who was a little person, mm-hmm. also from Fiji, so he's doubly exotic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the he wild... checks two boxes. Though. Exactly, yeah. like the wild men from Borneo, who were really from Ohio, they had some form of dwarfism, and they were intellectually impaired to some degree where they couldn't take care of themselves. Well, we have uh, stuff on them and Houdini. Do you want to talk about Houdini first, or do you want to talk about them first? Well, actually, the, I, the more research I did about this article about the wild men of Borneo, I found out that it's a, another group of brothers that played in lesser sideshows as the wild men of Borneo. What is it? Uh, th- this article that I found. Oh, the article you have there. Yeah, so, so there's more than... I, a lot, that happened a lot, too, where people, giants would take on the name of other giants just to try to... People didn't know who they were looking for. They didn't have access to the TV and know these are the legitimate, legitimate wild men of Borneo. Right. They could just be two other... But they knew they were... Maybe they knew they were brothers. Maybe they saw a photo. Maybe. Probably not. So people would kind of piggyback on so a popular was, there name. there were several acts with several circuses going by the Wild Men of Borneo. Yeah, the most famous one is a, a pair of little, they called them Wild Men, but they're just really kind of small men who had really amazing strength. Sometimes you'll see them in striped tights. They look like little sort of elves. Are these, are these African-Americans? No, they're not. No, no. They're just like um, kids from a farm in Ohio. I mentioned that because that's the other thing that happened a lot. You will find a lot of these wild man articles in the paper where they they just got an African-American guy and dressed him up, you know, in in a crazy outfit, maybe painted his face. I found one article where a guy had horns implanted. I I think they were bothering him or something, so he had to have medically removed. So he had some kind of horns. I don't know if it was... You know, something that he attached, like they put a screw base in or something yeah. in his head, or if they, they actually tried to, like, surgically attach horns to him or something. Oh, and even the um, Echo and Ico, who were um, brothers with albinism, they had a book about it recently called True Vine, which details their kidnapping and life with the circus. They were they were billed as wild men from Mars. From Mars? Yeah. The planet Mars. Yeah. <laughs> That's bizarre, right? Well, I mean, how often would somebody in that era see two albino African-American men with dreads? They yeah. probably did look like they were from Mars. And they Some... were from Virginia, right? Yeah, I think they were from somewhere. And that's a pretty tragic story. That weren't they kidnapped from their mother or something? Yeah, yeah and then, I mean, and there's sort of... Mm, I, 
you know, even if there was a tentative agreement, a lot of people I think could be kidnapping probably isn't too far off the mark if it isn't dead on, Mm -hmm. you know, like if your time's up and your contract's up, what are they going to drive you back? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and we've talked about this before as well, about how there is a, I think there's a racial bias in the performers and that there's definitely a hierarchy even within the circus of even by who's paid what, but but there's, I think there's, there's a sort of apologetics, sideshow apologetics that kind of happen as well. And one of those is these performers were paid really well and they couldn't do anything else. True on one hand, Mm -hmm. not always true on the other. In in the the case of the Fiji cannibals, for instance, Mm -hmm. we don't know that they ever got paid. No, they were taken care of. Right. The manager was probably Their manager got paid. He's -hmm. the one who brought them from Fiji, probably against their will. We did the bonus, remember, about uh, the woman who... And her husband, who wanted to be buried together, or... or oh, the, the man that they found in the uh, funeral home in Ohio. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who was yeah, actually... And, and a, he was returned. A, yeah, an aboriginal man. Right. Um, and the, But there was some question as to whether he left on his own will. I mean, it, it was... Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Fiji cannibals were removed from their homeland by someone who was a f- former and or current slave... Slave catcher. Slave catcher. Yeah. I think that's pretty telling in itself. Yeah. Yeah, this is a guy who who formerly ran slaves, and then suddenly now he's in the sideshow business bringing people from Fiji. And he was the one who was their manager then. Or, no, he sold them. Right? He yeah, sold he the, sold them. You weren't allowed to sell people, but you could sell attractions. You could sell an act, you yeah. You could sell an act. <laughs> but so, the people were the act, so... It, if it makes us feel better now, I think we go, well, they, you know, they were really well paid. And I think if you're talking about like Tom Thumb, who was a little person, mm-hmm. and he did make a lot of money. Tom Thumb got very, very rich. But Tom Thumb was white. Yeah. <laughs> he was a little person, but he was white. And he was he was from the same general ta- area town as, as Barnum, right? Yeah, the same general area. It's not same, roughly the same. Yeah. So it really seems like Barnum took care of him. Whereas Millie Christine, who were conjoined twins, were born into slavery. They were born in the time before uh, slavery ended, and they were sold several times to different people. Eventually, they did make money, but... Yeah, I I, I think there's a great disparity on how these performers were treated. And I think there was a great deal of racism as well. I really do. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to the wild men. Uh, the a lot of times these articles, it'll just be some local African American guy that they they dressed up in a costume and they'll they'll expose him as a, you know, this, he's just a regular guy, you know. And so sometimes people get mad about it. Sometimes you know they talk about, you know, people storming around, you know, getting upset that the wild man wasn't a real wild man. And sometimes they just kind of, oh well, you know, this is that's the circus. So. You get what you pay for <laughs> with the circus, I think. <laughs> so Houdini was a wild man. This this was interesting to me. He was not far from here where he started. No, Houdini started with the Welsh Brothers Circus in Lancaster. So very close to us. I think that's a fun circus fact. That And he did not start as a magician. No, he started as a wild man named um, Progia, I guess. I don't know where, like, the derivation of that is. That was his his earliest act, and he got paid pretty well to work for Welsh Brothers Circus. Apparently, they 
were good at feeding their performers. <laughs> That's something he commented on. He was well fed and he was paid for, I think, like five months, $20 a week or something like that for he and his wife. Which was good back then. Yeah. And they, they traveled. Welsh Brothers Circus was mainly a Pennsylvania circuit. They were kind of a smaller circus at first. Are there pictures of Houdini as a wild man? There may be. I haven't seen any, but I've seen descriptions of him. And I think it's probably fairly similar to the other wild men you see with some sort of stuck on hair and someone throwing raw meat at you. or The, the Fred Flintstone uh, Tarzan skin, yeah. skin over the shoulder skin outfit. Or, you know, yeah. And uh, then behind bars somewhere rattling some chains or some bars. Growling at people. Growling at people. Yeah. By the way, I, I because of my interest in Bigfoot wild men, I, I now have a great interest in these sideshow wild men as well. And I am collecting wild man pictures. So if anyone comes across circus sideshow pictures of any type. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be uh, something we'd be interested in. Yeah, yeah. Please, please let us know. But wild men as well. So the the cool thing about that is that also the winter quarters, if you're not familiar with circus winter quarters, it just means that the circuses would find some place to keep the animals for the winter time. And a lot of the performers stayed in those areas if they were going to be traveling with the circus again, and then would sometimes live in close by because there's a lot of circuses that were in this area. And so the performers lived in Philadelphia or lived in Chester County. And then they would do kind of like a winter route and do the, the major, they could probably hit New York and do the major sideshows in the museums up there. There were some in Wilkes-Barre, there's, you know, hit Philadelphia, and then they could just kind of do a winter circuit and keep their base. And so Welsh Brothers had their winter quarters in Lancaster. So there was probably a time when Houdini was walking the streets of Lancaster. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Who overwintered here? We found out someone wintered uh, in Pawn- Red Lion. In Red Lion, Pawnee Bill. Pawnee Bill, who was, uh, that was a Wild West performer? Yeah, he, very similar. He was friends with uh, Wild Bill. Mm-hmm. Pawnee Bill could actually speak Pawnee. So he was a translator for a while. Okay. But, but his real name was Gordon Lilly. He and his wife, Mae Lilly, who was a female sharpshooter, kind of akin to Annie Oakley. They did like a Wild West show. And they wintered in Red Lion. And they wintered in Red Lion. That's and, pretty cool. Which makes perfect sense because most of the sort of iconic pictures of him, of them were taken in York. By the Swords Brothers. Yeah. Who was the photo- photographer. Who I collect and research. So. Do we know, was it a hotel here in Red Lion or was it... It was a farm. Did we read that they, they overwintered Yeah, most of the farm? times they would, like, they needed space for the animals. Okay. So they would need, like, farm settings mainly. There was one, there was a circus that overwintered in Glenrock, too. So I oh, think, really? Yeah, there's But we a, used to live in Glenrock, too. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a, a lot of these little towns around here. The one great thing that York has going for it is that it's close to other places. <laughs> yeah, well, we're We're, we're like, sort of dead center in the... East Coast. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a place where you can get to other places fairly easily from. Thank God no one else would live here otherwise. <laughs> if you couldn't get to somewhere else. <laughs> Wild Men of Borneo. Now, th- this name became so popular that even these legitimate Wild Man articles, I find, well, mm-hmm. I'll call them legitimate, the, the yeah. ones that I think are Bigfoot. Yeah. I guess they're all legitimate. It's just a matter of what they're talking about, more or less. The articles I consider Bigfoot, sometimes I'll even say that, the, the Wild Man of Borneo was seen on the hills outside of town or, or uh, that's or, why i think this article that i found about like the end days of these sort of second string wild men of borneo is so fascinating because at first i thought it was the the wild men of borneo but the more i read it i was like this is a different group of brothers from a different area at a different time 
apparently they exhibited with like somebody in the in the uh, area found some mastodon tooth and then all of a sudden he's got his own sideshow kind of right. thing so he's they're not on the same level as like the wild men of borneo you see in like the famous did barnum have the wild men of borneo well one of the i can't remember who they traveled with a lot of times they would go with more than but one of the major ones because okay. they're they're a group of people that if you typed in wild men of borneo um you would see barney and um Hiram davis who are the the wild men of borneo the, the most well yeah the one. most well known by that name but it became such a popular name that, that every little sideshow seemed like if they're going to have a wild man, a lot of times it was followed with of Borneo. Yeah. Even local, like if someone went a local church fair and stuff, a lot of times they'll say like, Bill Davis played the wild man of Borneo for the Yeah, kids. and I do have some postcards of like amateur theatricals when, where people are either being a wild man or they're a dog man, kind of like Jojo the dog-faced boy, or, they're, or it'll be a guy... Um, in a dress with a beard, and he's the bearded lady. So, because of the nature of this podcast, we have to take a stop, step back, and say, "Dog man, not werewolf, not a werewolf, not a dog man like the cryptids." This was actually a boy uh, or a fellow who had what's the name of the uh, hypertrichosis? Hypertrichosis. So he had he had hair growing all over him. Yeah, I think most people have heard of JoJo the dog face boy, haven't they? Yes, but they wouldn't. When you say dog man, people who listen to this. Think of something else. Yeah, their ears will pick up. Ooh, dog man. I just want to be clear on that. Because... That's a horse of a different color. Yeah. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the very interesting article you found about the second string wild men of Borneo. Yeah, and their, and their sad, pitiful end. This, instead of being the, the famous Hiram and Barney Davis, the, these guys were John Henry and Will Evans from Illinois instead of Ohio. So let's, let's go ahead and hear the article. This is from 1903? Yeah, this is from Decatur, Illinois. And this is the history of the Evans men, once used as freaks without much pretense, traveled with shows and now winding up at the poor farm. That's the headline. John Henry and Will Evans, two brothers commonly known as the wild men from Borneo, are to be sent to the poor farm. They've been living in a hut on the river west of the city with a man named Jay Williams, who had the smallpox and has been under quarantine. They are poor, and the county has been providing food for them, and the overseer decided that it'd be cheaper and better to care for them at the county farm. Groceries were sent to the house Saturday. In a day or two, the place will be fumigated, and the Evans brothers will be brought to the city and sent to the poor farm. While the brothers have always been known as the wild men from Borneo, they are, as a matter of fact, not from Borneo, but are native-born Macon County citizens. They have appeared in public, and one not knowing the pair might easily mistake them for wild men. They are about as queer-looking freaks as are seen in any show. The men are smaller than the average man, and have the appearance of having been about half-dried. Their features are distorted, and there seem to be a thousand wrinkles on their faces. The two have always been queer-looking. And while they have brothers and sisters who are all right in appearance, they have a nephew who is the same kind of a freak. John Henry was at one time married to a woman who looked like the albino woman in a circus, but they did not get along and separated. When the father of the two boys died, he left each of his children ten acres of land, 
but these two borrowed money on the land to build houses and never being able to pay off the mortgage lost the land. They've always lived along the river west of the city and worked at different times at the sawmills and other places where they could secure jobs. In the early days, the Evans boys traveled with a show. Jacob Gross, who's now postmaster at Niantic, started a show. He found near Niantic on the Corral Place a relic which was supposed to be a mastodon tusk and some other large teeth. These things he fixed up and took them out to exhibit and also took the Evans boys along as wild men. Mr. Gross traveled over a good deal of the country, showing the mastodon teeth and the wild men. The mastodon relics finally fell into the hands of Jesse Lockhart and decorated his hog house for a long time. <laughs> and the Evans boys afterwards traveled with Charles Caldwell when he had a circus on the road. They appeared as the wild men and were chained in a cage. It did not take much makeup or pretense to convert the Evans brothers into wild men, for their appearance is certainly very strange. The two men are all right mentally, but they are not educated and are almost incapable of caring for themselves. Which is very similar to the real wild men of Borneo. Yeah. So these were Americans. Yeah, just Midwestern kids. That uh, looked a little yeah. different. Yeah, I'd be curious to know what their particular um, issues were, if they were little people or if, if they, they had some circuits, form of... there's pictures of them somewhere, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah, there's probably it might not be a... identified, but... Yeah, there's probably a photo somewhere. Yeah. I just thought it was sort of a tragic ending. That's so often the... Um, there's not a good ending. Right, to yeah. To sideshow people. Yeah, like like we were saying, I mean, some were paid and some some made some money. Uh, Chang and Ang, the the Siamese twins, mm-hmm. so called Siamese twins, they did very well. They made millions, right? Like, they yeah, millions? when they had to start sending their twenty one kids to college, they went back and. That's when they ca- worked for Barnum. That's the yeah. only time they worked for <laughs> Barnum, right? Yeah. But so, I mean, there are some people who, um, you know, were able to have a farm or you know live out their days with what they had earned. But I tend to think those are the exceptions more than the rule, sadly. Yeah, and a lot of people fell prey to disease. Just, I mean, I think the places that they were living and huddled places in cities, like you, it just makes you more prone to disease, Well, TB, once again, if you go back to our, our episode on the, the Fiji cannibals, Barnum's cannibals episode, and it looks more and more, the more research we do, we, we don't stop doing research, by the way, when we're interested in these topics. When you hear us do a show on them, that's not the end for us. We continue to do research, and we've continued to research the little general since then. And the more research we do, the more we're convinced that his bones were sold, or his body was sold. Ah, uh, Yeah, I'm beginning to think that. Yeah. I mean, there's too much of a precedent in other areas of the circus. Yeah. And Barnum, in particular. To me, it really was solidified when I heard again about Jumbo when he died. Jumbo Jumbo was the elephant that Barnum procured from England. They had him in England, right? In London or something. Yeah, another circus, I think. He procured it, brought it to America. It was was a huge elephant. Yeah, and when he died, he had um, the hide, like, taxidermied, and then he had the bones... Jumbo was hit by a train, which is tragic. I know. It's completely tragic. Killed by a train. So Barnum skins him, has the the skin stuffed, takes the bones, has the the skeleton articulated, and sends him in two different directions. Says, now I have two Jumbos. Mm -hmm. So when I heard that, I thought, is that what ended up happening to the little general? It's definitely possible. Yeah, I mean... I mean, maybe Barnum himself didn't sign off on that, but 
But a lot of times, Barnum wasn't the one to necessarily do the things that we now find distasteful. Exactly. He had agents to yeah. do that work for him. And while he might have been a great philanthropist and humanitarian, there are definitely some indelicate aspects to the circus, which... He was good at keeping himself insulated. Yeah, he really he, was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he was very much a politician in that sense. Mm-hmm. Let other people get their hands dirty, mm-hmm. make money when you can make money, and you keep yourself insulated from, from the dirty work. That's he capitalism. Didn't invent that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's capitalism. Isn't it? Yeah, he, he he certainly didn't invent that. Anything else on sideshow wild men before we move to the the even more tragic wild men? Um, it's something that some aspect of it carried through, and I I think um, even the fascination with people with like some forms of hirsutism, you know, like bearded ladies follows in that same sort of fascination yeah there weren't hard and fast uh you know you could be a a sort of wild man and a performer in another way like there there would be some crossover yeah i think sometimes that's something that's a job sort of anyone could do in the same way that if you're the wife of someone in the circus you could be a snake charmer because as long as you didn't have a fear of snakes you could be a snake charmer or as long as you're you could get your hair up you know, you could be a moss-haired girl. Those right. are things that anybody could do. Those are sometimes called... Circassians. Circassians. They're really cool-looking. They look like early, like, afros, basically. like Crazy-looking hair. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, and that was all, right? They would just... Yeah, it was just stale beer. They just put it up with, like, stale beer. And people would come to look at them because they had crazy hair. Yeah. A lot of times they wore sort of revealing clothing, though, yeah, too. Yeah, they were, they I think were that was sort the of main, gently like, suggestive, yeah. I've seen because they're, like, they're exotic. Right. They're from yeah. an exotic land. They might do anything, like wild men. You don't know what they might do. They're from a different place, you know. Yeah. And the, whereas, like, the the women with the hair, they're often, like, bearded women were often seen in a very feminine way, not as as wild. Like, as soon as they were old enough to be seen as women then they were often made to look as elegant as possible, but just with the addition of their beard. Yeah, I've seen like some of the photos you've shown. Yeah, me. like They're Annie just, Jones is absolutely is, beautiful she's dresses. She's beautiful. And... She's always like immaculately kept her hair, which she had like long hair besides the hair in her face and her body, is amazingly kept, and she's she's very elegant. Yeah, it's not like they tried to make these women look manly in any sense. They they were no. very feminine, but with beards. Yeah, that was the kicker with them. It was very interesting. At some point, I'm going to do a a Circus Wildman book. I think it's going to be mostly images. It's going to be after I do a few more of these uh, Bigfoot Wildman yeah, books. Yeah, there's a is it the Wildman in Mexico that has the the long creepy fingernails? There's oh, there's, there's a there's lot some of awesome images yeah. out there. That's and then there are so many that that I've seen that that I haven't seen anywhere else when we go to these photo shows and stuff. So it 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 should be a neat book, image wise at least. And I don't think they show up as often in sideshow photography from, like, the major photographers because, like, anybody could do that. Yeah. You know, so only, like, the major players would get their photo taken in that. Can't, not a lot you can name by name. You can name them by title. Wild mm-hmm. Man of Borneo, Fiji Cannibals, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But uh, not a lot you remember by their name. Yeah, and if Houdini hadn't gone on to be Houdini, Eric Weiss hadn't turned into Houdini... We wouldn't know about his time as a wild man. Yeah. Pennsylvania wild man. Houdini. That's very, very cool. Found another Pennsylvania wild man. In my searches, and this is a tragic story. It's very interesting. 
I think it's fascinating that he made the paper so often, but no one bothered to help him. <laughs> like, he's, he's funny as a novelty story, but at the same time, there, besides his neighbors, there isn't this right. wellspring of help for this man who's obviously troubled. Yeah. So in my quest to find local wild man stories of the Bigfoot sort, I came across, uh, you, you know, several of the other sort of wild men, the, the sort of uh, hairy guy that scared people for one reason or another. Most of them end up being, you know, itinerants or or drunks or homeless or just passing through a lot of times. Mm-hmm. There's a funny article where people, you know, a wild man goes to East Berlin, which is a town near us, and the whole town shuts up. They're so afraid that it's a wild man. And newspapermen come the next day, and, and they said all everybody was like ran inside because they were afraid the newspapermen. I don't know if this was a jab at newspapermen mm-hmm. from a newspaper, you know, but they said the whole town like locked all their windows and stuff. And finally, a lady stuck her head out and asked them if there were wild men. Wow! <laughs> and they said, "No, we're we're just reporters," you know. So I, I don't know if that's a, you know supposed to be a humorous article. How do you answer that question? Are you yeah. a wild man? Yeah, I don't know. Do I look like a wild man? I, I guess you better answer. You you know, back then you get get shot, get shot, or get uh, hot water dumped on you from from above, or whatever the case. But uh, I found this fellow, and, and he he appears in the paper several times. They talk about a wild man in Hanover, and there's one story I printed in. I think it's in two of my books. I think it's in the Pennsylvania Bigfoot book. And my first book, Beyond the Seventh Gate, because mm-hmm. it's just such a bizarre story. These wild man stories keep popping up around Hanover. And I did find some legit, like, you know, eight-foot gorilla scaring people in Hanover stories. Um, I think they called it a man-bear. That were, that sounds like a legitimate Bigfoot creature. Yeah. That... But uh, there, some of these other ones pop up. And this one is from 1874, which is... Shortly before we start reading these stories of this Daniel Luckenball. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is not him. 1874, this is August 11th from the York Daily, 1874. A sensation of a new order is now exciting the people of Hanover, York County. A wild man has been seen in Sager's Woods on several occasions by individuals who are willing to take an oath to the fact. He is described as being attired in women's clothes, <laughs> face masked, and a large black dog following at his heels. The neighborhood is greatly excited at the appearance of the strange-looking object, and the young men are about forming themselves into a band for the purpose of capturing him. So, weird little detail in a mask. Yeah. It was just such a weird story that I put it in the Bigfoot book. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think it's a Bigfoot, but it's just like weird details. Dressed in women's clothes, running through the woods, a mask, and a, a black dog following him. The only thing possible supernatural about that is the black dog, which gets into a whole other thing with black dogs, which are these, they pop up in these stories, and you never know whether they're these supernatural black dogs that people report or just a natural, you know, mm-hmm. somebody's pet or a, or a wild dog or, or whatever. So the black dog supernatural thing is kind of like, it's hard to, hard to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But that's Hanover 1874. Unless Hanover is fraught with wild men. Have you been there recently? <laughs> Actually, I have. <laughs> we it's, were there together. and It's a yes. lawless land yes. of it, it, wonder. It, and Hanover is its, its own place. It is, much like York. I like Hanover. 
I do. I think Hanover is sort of a hidden gem of architecture and potential. And it's a weird little place. Mm -hmm. It's got like McSherrystown. Is it McSherrystown? Is that the the little Catholicville? Yeah. It was basically right next to it. And it's just completely air. Like, I mean, this area is very Protestant. Mm -hmm. York County is very, very Protestant in general. And there's this like hardcore Catholic area. Yeah, it's almost like, like you cross the line from York County to Adams County, then it's okay to be Catholic again. <laughs> like you can stop being German now, <laughs> cross the line. Well, and, or continue to be German but be German Catholic. <laughs> and I mean, not far from Maryland yeah. there either. You know, yeah. which is Maryland. But it's it, you know it's just a really weird combination of of things. Hanover is like this historic town, and you drive through it, it's very historic. But it's uh, just another one of these. It feels like, and I don't mean this as an insult, because I think Red Lion is very similar where we live, kind of this lost borough where it's like, are we going to be a historic place? Are we going to be, are we going to try to be more modern? Are we going to be... Are we historic only because we've never progressed? Or are we historic because we care about uh, preservation? Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of like teetering on the edge like that, but uh, it's a neat place. It's one of the places we considered moving after Glenrock. Mm -hmm. We were looking at places in Hanover. So this... As I take my glasses off so I can read. <laughs> this is June 5th, 1875. And around this time is where we start getting these reports of this other wild man. And they name him. So this is only a year after that, the one that you read. This is a year after that one, yeah. Huh. So this is very, very small type. So I'll try to get through this. <laughs> this is from the Democratic Advocate in Westminster, Maryland. June 5th, 1875. The Hanover, Pennsylvania citizen says... Sometime since, there appeared in a York paper a statement concerning a wild man said to have been discovered near our town. The article, though incorrect in most particulars, was not wanting in that grain of truth which generally saves a sensational story from utter condemnation as being made out of whole cloth. We have taken pains to ascertain the whole truth, which we now lay before our readers, and surely it is sad enough, for the conditions of the subject would really be no worse would in fact be far better had he been born in savagery. Daniel Luckenball, the man in question, was born about 60 years ago near Jefferson, this county. His parents were respectable people and gave their son an ordinary English education. Doubtless his mind was early imbued with the sad superstition which, in later life, has made him the object of mingled loathing, fear, and pity. When a young man he married, and as far as the world saw, prospered in business. Death invaded his home, and after short intervals his parents and his wife died. His mind became affected, and about twenty years ago he was wholly overcome by the delusion that he was under the spell of evil spirits who were tormenting him. Forsaking his friends, he betook himself to the solitude of the woods near the farm of Mr. John Hoffaker in West Mannheim Township, about six miles southeast of Hanover, where he built himself a small hut made of earth in which he passed a number of years. Some kind neighbors, taking pity on him, put up a small but comfortable building. He occupied this only a short time, for under the notion that the witches were after him, he fired his home and it was burned to the ground. For shelter he dug a pit in the ground, about eleven feet long by three feet wide, and the same depth, with a covering of stones and earth, where he has since spent his miserable days. His furniture consists of a bed of filthy rags and a cooking apparatus that would disgrace a digger Indian comprising a tiny stove, the gift of a neighbor, an old dingy coffee pot, a jar and several old crocks. He is covered with rags, his feet bare, 
and presents a horrible appearance. He's about five feet nine inches tall, small beard, and long thin hair on a long and rather well-shaped head. He is said to be of great strength and very swift of foot, and at times very savage and dangerous. He is quite deaf, and it is said that he has quite a good memory. He has an especial fondness for tobacco, and as far as known, has never been sick. The neighbors, some moved by fear and others by pity, furnish him with food. Taken altogether, we have never seen so wretched a being, or so miserable a sight outside an insane asylum, and few there can match the utter wretchedness of this poor old man. So that's Daniel Luckenbaugh. That property would have been, best of my guess, somewhat near Cadora State Park. What's now, yeah, the, it could even be, you know, where the water is now. Yeah. The lake, somewhere around there. Yeah, we were trying to track it down, but we can't find specifically where that property is. We probably will find it at some point. Yeah. I would really like to go there if it's not private property and see if we could find that ditch that he dug out. Oh, it's, that seems like a, I mean, that's like a, a ditch that's a hundred, a hundred years old. Yeah, but I mean, there's old stone walls in throughout the all throughout the woods here that people have built up. You know, there's those farm walls that, that yeah, still and there, exist. Yeah, there's and, a good chance that the same people own the farm that <laughs> the family. family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this guy was uh, he checks off several boxes for us here. He's he's afraid of witches. Yeah, he, I mean, if you want to go beyond any of the paranormal aspects of it he's obviously suffering from some sort of mental illness sure yeah and it's sad that that's the it is it is and he appears in the paper quite a bit i mean this this that paper was from westminster maryland which is you know it's not yeah, terribly so, but far he's, but he's i mean but for that time period he's kind of making the rounds of a, a, yeah. a fair amount of space like the, he must have been a real curiosity yeah, he he was, and and when he died, it actually made the papers. Yeah, that's. So you know, he was kind of reported as almost like a local celebrity. Yeah. This person of interest died. I like the insistence that his parents gave him a proper uh, education, and you know, kind of uh, absolving them of it's proper English education. Yeah. Not 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 a superstitious German. Right. No Dutch. No Dutch yeah. stuff. That was a. Uh... When I say Dutch, of course, I mean Deutsch. That's the <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch is German. It is interesting how that is so early. You have that idea that the German people are giving their families superstitious beliefs, that they're still clinging to some sort of older belief system. Right. I don't think that's at all what's going on with Daniel Luckball. <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with uh, any superstition from Germany. No, no. It, it goes into a little bit more of his life in the article about his death, actually. So this is from November 7th, 1881. It's from the York Daily. Death of a singular character. So here he's reported on like sort of almost like a local celebrity. Last week, we announced the death of Daniel Luckenball, which took place at the York County Almshouse. The Hanover Herald of Saturday gives the following interesting facts in reference to the peculiarities of the deceased. Daniel Luckenball, who died at the County Almshouse in York Thursday of last week, in his 70th year, was a native of North Cador's township, but lived in West Mannheim for the last 40 years, until he was taken to the almshouse in December 1878. He was a lunatic, lived under shade of trees in summer, and in winter occupied a small hut in the woods on Mr. John W. Hoffaker's farm. He was very savage and almost entirely deaf. 
On the morning of December 26, 1878, day after Christmas, Mr. E.C. Hoffaker, not having seen him for several days, went to his hut and saw flames issuing from the roof. Extinguishing the fire, Mr. H. took Luckenball to his house and compelled him to wash himself and change his clothing, and then took him to the almshouse. About six years before, he'd been sent there, but had escaped and come back to his old haunts. When young, he spent most of his time playing the violin, but after he became deaf, he could no longer tune his instrument. He employed himself making bread baskets. At one time, he was married to a widow named Susan Darfley, but after some years, he got tired of her and sold her to another man for 50 cents. Bargain at half the price. <laughs> 1881 you could well 18 would have been the 1870s but still sell your wife (laughs) i think it's more of a gentleman's agreement i mean she was a widow damaged goods right yeah wow 50 cents isn't that the real story here i want to hear i want to hear what life with old daniel was like she probably willingly went she probably provided the 50 cents I'd say he was probably, uh, what was the quote Raymar's wife said about him? Too, too damn, damn peculiar. Too damn peculiar. I'd say probably Mr. Looking Ball was too damn peculiar. Too damn peculiar. Yeah, maybe she got the bargain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she could have been living in that oversized grave in some rags. At least he had coffee, though. Yeah. He did have coffee. And we, we have coffee tonight. So yeah, so. It's, Allison and I are sharing a wonderful iced coffee. It's very interesting that he goes deaf. Now, it seems like he was maybe showing some signs before he went deaf, but mm-hmm. we've seen this, unfortunately, in people very close to me. I won't go into other details. Sometimes when people go deaf, when they're older, it seems to aid Yeah. in maybe if there's a propensity there already for some sort of yeah isolation and like just complete isolation coupled with deafness seems to engender a certain amount of it's a bad recipe it seems like yeah well because the only thing you have to listen to is what's in your head then right there's nothing else getting in (laughs) right this is a different kind of wild man this is a someone that just people were scared of basically who, Mm. who looked he obviously had long hair and a beard and was separate from society Really interesting thing, I, I think, though, is what you found, his diagnosis. Yeah, so he goes to the alms house, and this is fascinating to me that there are these records. You can go in and find relatives of yours that were that entered the poorhouse, or so, so the, the the poorhouse or the alms house. It's this... where it, it's basically a catch-all for anyone who can't take care of themselves, whether it be mental illness. There whether... weren't a ton of in New York. There was never an insane asylum. That's why I, one of the things that kicks me about the stupid Toad Road internet uh-huh. legend of that about a, a burning insane asylum. Never been an insane asylum in York County of any type. Mm-hmm. They went to the almshouse until they built a place for them in New York Hospital. In New York, then they they would send people with uh, you know mental problems. And the, the curious yeah. thing I think too is that the almshouse is in the same location as the county home is now. Right. Which is very close to where Dr. Crandall's health school burned down, which is what we think might be sort of like the the kernel of truth in in the Toad Road story and that a mental health facility or it, like a, an institution uh, did burn down. A health and institution, that... yeah, it was an old folks home, a health institution, did burn down, in, you know, not terribly far from the mm-hmm. area. It's enough of a of a 
truth to make the story stick, but there was never an insane. Yeah. And no one died in that fire. Yeah. Um, the, the I think it was uninhabited at that time. Uh, Dr. No, it Crandall's was. So they were able to get they, very few people lived there. Yeah, it, like it a was, caretaker or something, because it was in the process of being I sold think, or something. Yeah, I think, I think so. I, there there might have been one or two like leftover patients that were still there, but they got everybody got out. No one got hurt even yeah. in that fire. No one was killed. So the almshouse, if you were too poor to afford anything, mm-hmm. you got sent there. If you were insane, you got sent there. Couldn't pay your medical bills but couldn't be in the hospital, you went there. So like you said, it's this kind of catch-all place. And there's census records of people who were in there. And we found Dan Luckenball. There's a uh, thing that's going around on Facebook I see. It's reasons people were submitted to insane asylums in, in the 1800s. Like, I mean, like for, like hysteria like and for women like menopause yeah exactly yeah and it's it's very shocking yeah but this was not on that list no i've never seen this anywhere else no but it's it's... so form of disease for dan luckenball this is the diagnosis troubled by ghosts that is amazing i know i was like look at this tim it says troubled by ghosts His admission sheet, it's not his admission sheet. This is a... The census to, records the in census 1880. Records and, they, and they had to fill out basically a reason why this person was there. Was he in there? And this is just the terms of the time. Mm-hmm. Was he insane or was he an idiot? Yeah. And, and they the, made a very distinct difference. And some people who were uh, apparently criminally insane were there too, because there's another person on, this, on the census record right above him who says has to be in chains most of the time. Must have been a horror house, right? Yeah, I mean, really it really must have been. Was he better there? I mean, maybe because he had a roof over his head and three squares, but... <laughs> yeah, it's a tough call. Yeah. So they had to present a reason why people were there. Especially, I think, if they weren't what they called an idiot. Yeah. Different time. This yeah. is a different time. <laughs> so this is from 1881. It's stamped July 5th, 1881, this form. And uh, you can't read it all. Just the copy is real hard to read. But some of the some of the, the things you can read, and, and there's so there's a, a word obscured, and then it says, is childish. Uh, presumably it's... His it's, name. It might say Daniel. Yeah, I'm not sure. Then some, some things obscured. And I think it's saying, it says either then or there. I think it says then he cries or then he cried something, something, something. And I think they mean like cried out. I don't mm-hmm. think it means he was bawling. I think yeah. it, means, it ends. The, you can read the end of the sentence and it says, it is right he is in the poor house. So someone made that call. I don't know if this mm-hmm. was a an attending physician or a nurse or, or what the next line it says luck and ball is sick i believe it says sick mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's hard to like this is somebody's handwriting so it's really yeah. hard to read and it's faded out that the copy is really hard to read. then there's a word i can't read and it says could not support himself he lived in the woods for either seven or several years i can't mm-hmm. it's, it, it says seven or several he lived in the woods for several years and he got unruly so they and there's a bunch of words you can't read so he got unruly, basically, so presumably they, that's when they committed him. Mm-hmm. I found that intensely interesting. I, I really like to find where, where he was living. There might be some trace of it, you know. It's, living, it's through, living through the winter. I know. In, a, in it, basically like a glorified uh, grave. Yeah. Right? That's fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. And several winters. 
Mm-hmm. He he made it through several winters. I do like that idea that since the outside world turned on him, like his luck changed or what have you, he just kind of turned on it. Yeah, and well, and to me as a musician, it's always like heartbreaking yeah. when like I hear Goya somebody or or with the art, you know, and Beethoven or Beethoven. someone goes deaf, you know, a musician goes deaf or an artist goes blind. So your only coping skill for those deaths is gone then too. It's it's, it's yeah. so tragic to me, and I, and it, I guess it shouldn't be any more tragic than anyone else who goes deaf. But there's something about it. Just I guess just as being a musician to me that just hits home. So he was a you know this violinist who spent all his free time playing violin, and that's taken away from him at the same time, or probably shortly after his parents and his wife were taken from him. Mm-hmm. And it would make you want to just go into the woods. I would. Yeah. Probably. I mean. But you have to be amazingly self-sufficient to live that long. Yeah, was he living off the land? Was he living solely off of food? He's probably close enough to orchards there would be enough to survive if people are bringing him little things. There is food around. Yeah. And at that time, there was probably a lot more. Yeah, yeah. And people were probably a little more willing to help each other. I think so. If it was someone that just wandered into town, they wouldn't have done it. But for, you know, they would have known his parents. He right, had a good, you know, like that. I mean, they talk about Jefferson, like, like, oh, he grew up in Jefferson, and then, but he's spending his time. This is that's not very far from where he ended up. Mm-mm. It's, you know, a couple miles from Jefferson to Mannheim. Yeah, it's, it's not that far. Yeah, but we're talking about people in Hanover who still don't come to York more than like one time a year. <laughs> These aren't people that moved around a lot. There'd be dragons. Yeah, there'd be dragons. <laughs> <laughs> And an almshouse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the county almshouse was. So, as ever, we we will not cease our research on Daniel Luckenball, but uh, wanted to do this wild man show. Thought it was interesting. We will continue, and maybe we'll find out where he lived, and we can do an update for everybody. As yeah, it gets be- warmer, we'll have more opportunity to to try to figure out that stuff. If you wanted to make a replica in the backyard of a three foot by 11 foot ditch so we could stage, but could put the coffee pot in there. I'm not entirely opposed to that. Yeah. And then we'll just set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the one he burned. He burned his shack down. Oh. The shack the guy made for him. Oh. And well, then, isn't that a bit of a... <laughs> then, he, then he lived in a pit, basically. <laughs> there might have been ghosts in there. And and he lived in the pit until he became unruly. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. That's the tragic thing. It was everybody was fine to let him live there. It's, it's apparently it's mm-hmm. just when he got unruly that they. All right, time for you to go. Yeah, I wonder what the tipping point was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not terribly long ago, right? No, not really. What he died in the eighteen eighties? Yeah, eighteen eighty one. The funeral goes, yeah, 1881, yeah. And Harry Houdini is later than that. He's doing that uh, Wild Man show in late 18, mid to late 1890s. Right. So I wonder if he was the, the wild man in the women's clothes in Sager's Woods. Well, if, think about it. If you have, if your, your clothes have fallen to rags and, you know, the way that a pair of pants might splay and look like clothes. Right. And if you, you know, maybe he had something to obscure his face or maybe it was just his hair was covering his face. And they might've said it looked like a woman just because he had long hair. That's true too. Yeah. I and mean, these are points I make about the, the what I thought of the Bigfoot wild men too. Like a mm-hmm. lot of times, 
they'll say they were clothed, you know, but maybe they read hair as clothing, you know, mm-hmm. as rag, as torn up clothes. I mean, it's, and you don't want to admit as a woman that you saw a naked man running somewhere either. There is that level of decorum, which is still in play there where. Yeah. And these old articles, definitely. I, I've, I've in the same said, way they're putting like a what I found, sheets over cherubs, you know, I found the same the same article, you know, well, not the same article, but two articles describing the same incident in two different papers. And one will have him clothed and the other will have him entirely naked. Yeah. And to me, that just says the reporter or the editor or somebody said, nope, we're not having a naked man in the mm-hmm. paper. It's just, it's too shocking. Yeah. It's too provocative. Yeah. People might go out to the woods to look for him. <laughs> Women might just get up in droves and just head to the, head for the hills looking for the wild man. Can we do a Sideshow Giants episode sometime? I would love to talk about Giants. I would love to talk about Giants in York. I would love to talk about... You love tall people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they really accomplished something. (laughs) Yes, we will do... We will come back to the Sideshow. Okay. Because it is a a gift that keeps giving. It really does. (laughs) Pick a niche. There's a sideshow act for that. Thanks for listening to Strange Familiars, everybody. And thanks to our patrons. Couldn't do the show without you. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. $3 a month gets you bonus content. I try to do at least one full patron episode a month. So far, I've been able to hold to that. Often, I do more than that. Often, I can give more bonus audio, give some uh, free music download or even a shorter kind of audio extra and so forth. There's different levels of support there. If you can afford more than $3, you can get things like pins and vinyl stickers, t-shirts. You can go to patreon.com slash strange familiars and see all the options there. We don't have sponsors. We don't have ads. We don't have money. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have grants. We don't have anything but we don't have any support we don't have a grant writer this is not a public radio funded podcast we don't have nonprofit status we don't have we have our patrons <laughs> and our patrons only and we love you guys so thank you patrons if you want to interact with us and other strange familiars listeners there is a strange familiars group on facebook it's called strange familiars gathering there's a regular strange familiars page too that i make announcements there but the Strange Familiars Gathering, people post articles and sometimes funny pictures. And recently I put up a possible Bigfoot picture that, that a friend of ours took a very interesting possible maybe. You know, I'm not saying it's Bigfoot. It's just an but interesting, very yeah, interesting regardless. picture. Stuff like that. I put up, you know, interesting articles and stuff I find. So that's Strange Familiars Gathering. If you're on Facebook, you can come by and join that. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. That's darkhollerarts.com. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more. Cheers.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.